The scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms and the gospel according to Luke. A reading of Psalm 99. The Lord rules, the nations shake. He sits enthroned on the winged heavenly creatures. The earth quakes. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them thank your great and awesome name. He is holy. Strong king who loves justice, you are the one who established what is fair. You work justice and righteousness in Jacob. Magnify the Lord our God. Bow low at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel, too, among those who called on his name. They cried out to the Lord, and he himself answered them. He spoke to them from a pillar of cloud. They kept the laws and the rules that God gave to them. Lord our God, you answered them. To them, you are a God who forgives, but also the one who avenged their wrong deeds. Magnify the Lord our God. Bow low at his holy mountain, because the Lord our God is holy. And now, a reading from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. And as they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless, and at the time told no one what they had seen. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift to come together and to bear witness to your growing family and the ways that we get to be a part of cultivating that. We thank you for this time that we can set aside to learn and grow and be reminded of how you are at work within our work at work within us and around us. And so I ask that you would speak through me because of me and maybe a little bit also in spite of me um, that you're Spirit might flow through my words and into the hearts and minds of those um, who are here looking, ready for your work in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been paying attention uh, to churchy news this, these days, which I know you all do, um, you may have heard about a spiritually dynamic event that started earlier this month in Kentucky. At the end of a bi-weekly chapel service, at Asbury University, something strange happened, or didn't happen. 
The service was like most services. They sang, they prayed, they heard a sermon. But instead of streaming out of the 1,500-seat auditorium after the blessing, people stayed. And they stayed, and they stayed. That was February 8th, and they are still there. Some folks have taken breaks, others have joined them. Musical worship leaders have rotated through, and even others are delivering food. The students are calling it a spiritual revival. But it's not like a revival like you or I might be quick to imagine. There's no fiery preacher up front, no altar calls, uh, no praise breaks, tambourines, or augmented chords. Instead, folks describe it, and others have streamed it on TikTok, the TikTokable uh, revival, um, as kind of a fairly quiet but steady ebb of, and stream of, and flow of songs and prayer, of testimony and meditation. It has, as some claim, sparked other similar movements of the spirit, like one at Samford University in Atlanta, Georgia. And while I won't make one claim or the other about the validity of these gatherings or even the meaning of them, what is obviously true is that a powerful experience is happening. And it is moving people collectively and deeply at a time, at a sociopolitical moment, when so much of our spiritual and social fabric has been torn apart. I often pray before worship that with our leaders that God would meet us here in this space, that the hearts and minds of each person who walks through these doors would be ready to encounter the Spirit's movement. And while I trust that this is happening among us in some meaningful way, what if it really happened? Like, in a powerfully vibrant way, in an Asbury University kind of way? What would you do? Would you join in? Freak out? Walk away? Or perhaps you would suggest pitching a few tents. This, of course, is exactly what Peter, the gospel's foil for the no-holds-barred, all-in but a little slow on the uptick personality among the disciples does. In our passage for today, something incredibly powerful happens. And Peter knows it. And because it's so beautiful and so awe-inspiring, he wants to capture it or at least commemorate it somehow. And we might be inclined to chuckle and shake our heads at silly old Peter when Jesus tells him to simmer down and drop his blueprints because the party's almost over. But to be fair, how was Peter supposed to know? They have been up there for about a week while Jesus has been hanging out with Moses, Moses and Elijah, giants of the faith who are, to be clear, extremely dead, like hundreds of years dead. So at this point, everything they knew about the world and how it works is now out the window, right? Before that, all they knew was that they were going up a mountain to pray, which frankly is not all that unusual if you hang out with Jesus as much as they did, right? But this time, the departure does feel a little different. Things have been heating up. The passages leading up to this one describe how people are kind of starting to take notice of Jesus, asking questions about him and the things he's been doing. King Herod's itchy conscience has him sweating, thinking about maybe John the Baptist might have resurrected. And he's pacing back and forth in his throne room thinking, pulling at his hair, but I literally handed his head to my wife. And Herod's actually not that far off, though. A resurrection has occurred. Most people just don't know it. Jesus has resurrected the daughter of a synagogue leader named Jairus just before the speculations started flying. And now he needs to get away. And this one seemed no different from any other prayer retreat that they've gone on so far until Jesus starts praying so hard that his face bursts into light, what I like to call the original glow up. And when Moses and Elijah appear, oh, and a big booming voice from a God cloud arrives. Yeah, so like it's been a really weird week, right? But also really beautiful. 
So let's just go easy on Peter, because there are worse things that one can do than offer a few dwelling places so that the luminaries of the faith could get a little comfortable. But the thing is, of course, that they aren't there to get comfortable. The author of Luke tells us that they are there to have a very specific kind of conversation with Jesus. Now, we don't get all the juicy details, but we do know that he spoke about, that they spoke about Jesus' departure, which, is, which he was about to bring about to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah are not there to reminisce about the glory days. They are there to tell Jesus what he's in for. Because they know what kind of perseverance is demanded of those who commit to following through with God's call on their lives. Moses, the great liberator of Israel, suffered incredible amounts of isolation, self-doubt, and even seasons of rebellion from the very people he was supposed to be leading. And even then, at the end, all he got was a glimpse of the promised land. Elijah, the prophet who, direct, prophet who directly challenged the power and authority of mighty governments to assert God's ultimate authority, also experienced isolation, along with threats on his life from his own leaders and the humiliation of being fed by unclean animals when no one else would feed him. These two leaders know intimately, intimately the costliness of following their call, both physically and spiritually. And they also know that Jesus is the person in whom their two vocations will emerge, will merge. Jesus is the one who will not only lead the people toward liberation of the body, exposing the limitations of Roman capital punishment, but also liberation of the spirit, challenging the performative religiosity of the faith leaders of his day. They know that he's about to start walking down a very hard road. And they want to share with him the wisdom and perspective that they've gained. But along with that, I think they want to sit with him and tell him that he can do this. He can do this. They look at his young face, 33 years old. And maybe they see themselves, Moses, recovering from a confusing childhood and from some very painful decisions that he made as a young adult. Elijah, a nobody from no place special announcing a drought that will wipe out the wealth and health of all of his people. This is who they were when they were his age, Jesus' age. Jesus knows, but also doesn't know what lies ahead. But they do. And they want to encourage him as those who have walked the stone, only those who have walked the stony path can. You can do this, they say to him. We know you can. And more than that, you won't be alone. We will journey with you every step of the way. Maybe there are tears and kisses. Maybe there are just moments of silence broken occasionally by song or prayer or testimony. Whatever those hours and days looked like, something holy was happening. And something happened within Jesus that would not be undone. He was transformed, transfigured, first in his face, but then in his spirit. He may have looked the same, but he came down that mountain a different person. In the church calendar, today is called Transfiguration Sunday, and it always occurs the Sunday before the beginning of Lent to mark the turning point in Jesus' personhood and ministry as he sets his face toward Jerusalem. It is also, as we now know, a baptism day for our community. And as we moved through the baptismal service, I hope you heard at least once or twice that Zadie, Enzo, and Amelie have now joined the family of Jesus. And what that means is not only that they are covered and kept in God's love, 
but also that they now belong to a much larger web of relationships, ancestors of the faith, some of whom were represented in the water that you poured into that pitcher, right? People who comprise a great cloud of witnesses who can not only speak to their journeys of faith, but know deeply and diversely what it means to live it out. This is what Elijah and Moses were doing for Jesus. And it is this kind of transcendental, transgenerational mentorship that we have access to when we become part of God's family. Through their stories, they will sit with you, wonder with you, challenge you, and encourage you to become the one who God created you to be. When I was meeting with uh, Zadie and Enzo yesterday, because I thought, well, you know, they're old enough to have a conversation, I asked them, well, who are some people that, um, you know, I asked, you know, I said, it's Black History Month, you know, who, who, do, who did you learn about? And um, I think Enzo said Harriet Tubman, and Zadie said uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And I said, did you know that they were Christians? Did you know that it was their faith that helped them have courage to speak up, to stand up, to say things that they knew people were not going to like, or keep returning to dangerous situations to help other people get free? These are your ancestors of the faith. They are part of Jesus' family. And they are challenging you. And they are inspiring you. And they are encouraging you to do things that you could never do on your own. But by the gift of the Holy Spirit, that superpower that we get when we get baptized, we have the capability and capacity to do. This is what happens when we become part of something so much bigger than ourselves. This time on the mountain was essential for Jesus. It's what helped him to have an imagination, not only for what was going to lie ahead, begin to think about and wrap his mind around what he was entering into, but who he would be as he moved toward Jerusalem. Because it's in coming down the mountain um, that, and what happens next that we see why all of this mountain time matters so much. In this third and final week of our series about praying twice, we reflect on what it means to pray, wow. If awe leads to gratitude, as we talked about last week, wonder, which is our passage for today, leads to astonishment. Wow. Something beautiful and powerful has happened here at the water and there on the mountaintop. And these remind us not only of our interconnectedness, but they also lead us to wonder to look closer and to watch. What will happen when Jesus comes down the mountain? How will God's love show up in Amelie's life? When will Enzo demonstrate a courage that is rooted in his faith? What will Zadie's faith lead her to create in the world? We watch, we watch closely as we journey with them in their faith formation. And we offer the hospitality and wisdom that we have such as it may be and we also learn. We will learn from them. They will challenge us, hopefully. Hopefully we will create the space where they can challenge us. And so I wonder, I wonder what will happen when this Asbury revival stops and the students return to their lives? This is more what I'm interested in. They have been changed. They are being changed. How will they be changed? And how will that change ripple out into the world? As God's people here in San Francisco, and there in Kentucky, across space and time and generations of living, we journey up and down the mountains of faith that seek understanding, transfigured time and time again by God's love together. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of transfiguration, certainly in the life of Jesus. 
and how that did something mysterious in him that empowered him to start walking down a very difficult road. We thank you for the many transfigurations of those ancestors of the faith where something happened in them that gave them what they needed in order to move toward a stony road too. And we pray for our own roads, whatever they may be, that you might grant us the things that we need as we need them so that the work that you are wanting to do in the world can happen. May we encourage each other, may we challenge each other, may we resource one another so that as we walk down this road, we might not only have courage and strength and vision, but also companionship. We pray this with gratitude and in Jesus' name. Amen.